Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. but I did not animate that. How many here are old enough to remember that? I'm not talking about Charlie Brown and Linus. I'm talking about this television right here. <laughs> you remember those televisions? They kind of doubled as a H-bomb shelter. How many here are old enough to remember atom bomb drills? Anyone at all? Where you'd get under your desk, I don't know what that would do. You got hit by a hydrogen bomb, but apparently that desk was going to provide some level of protection. As I was putting that together, just a lot of, lot of fond memories there. Remember when TVs were furniture? And they were so heavy, you couldn't move them. In fact, when they, when they broke down, you didn't get rid of your television. You used it as a high-quality oak table to present family pictures or knickknacks and stuff like that. They weighed roughly 1,200 pounds, and they came equipped with three channels. And the remote control, I mean, the remote control would last for roughly 15 to 18 years because what was the remote control? Anyone? Your children. When you were young, it was your responsibility to sit three feet away from the television so you could turn the channel for your mom and dad when the Rockford Files went to commercial. Not, this is not a personal experience for me, but you had to sit three feet from the television to be their remote control, and now they complain that you're too close to your screens all the time. They played the national anthem every night, and then the TV just didn't, just stopped giving you stuff. How many here remember having to turn the TV on and the picture did not immediately come up? Had to warm up, did it not? You would turn the television on, go get a drink. Come back, it might be half warmed up. You kind of start to see pictures and things. But it brings me back to my childhood with the Charlie Brown and Linus reading from Luke chapter 2. And that's going to be our passage this morning. And so I encourage you to open your Bibles and 
We're going to be camped in these verses here as we talk about the peace of God. But before we do so, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we will walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you because you are God and we are not. You are holy and we need your righteousness. Father, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that was for all people. We thank you for the, for the hope and the peace that this Advent time as we anticipate the birth of your Son. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That your word would be alive in our hearts, not just a noise in our head. Father, bless your word. Glorify yourself. Father, I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious and holy name. And if you are awake this morning, say amen. Amen. Say Merry Christmas. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give that man a raise. No, let's move forward. All right, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) Thanks for laughing at that, though. That was very encouraging. Last week, Pastor Dave brought us an Advent message on hope. This week, we will be looking at the birth of Christ and focusing on the peace that he brings with him. If there is one message we remember the most from the Charlie Brown Christmas special, it is this. Glory to God in the highest and peace, goodwill towards men. Peace on earth. When you think about peace on earth, I don't know about you, but as I live in this day and age, and it's true of any day and age, but when you think about it, peace on earth, what a pipe dream that is. Man, by the way, man and women, mankind, are not able to know true peace absent from Jesus Christ. Imagine if I took your wallet, and I took your money, and I took your keys, and I said, I'm going to give you this all back when there is world peace. What would you do? Talk to me. You'd go get a, well, you call the police, get a new wallet, cancel your cards, Today we will look at peace, true peace, not a ceasefire, not a pause in war, but peace between God and man. Today we're going to look at the difference between false peace and God's true peace, and we will unpack it with one of the most unlikely tools, and it's an an exciting tool for those of you who are nerds. And this tool is the historical background of Roman culture when our Savior was born. We will start, in fact, we will start and end our study this morning with verse 18. And the shepherds made known the statements which had been told to them about this child from the angels. And all who heard the shepherds' message that came from the angels were were stunned and amazed at the things that were told them by the shepherds. So with all this being said, let's jump into peace on earth from a historical, biblical background study of the Roman culture the day that Jesus was born. Does that not just warm your heart? 
Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. There's a wonderful detail here that is so masterfully woven within the text that it's very rarely ever noticed in our romanticized, nostalgic approach to the Christmas message. But the beauty of this detail is not here on accident. we got to remember who the author is. It is Dr. Luke. He is, by the way, not only a masterful theologian, not only is he inspired by the Holy Spirit for the total verbal plenary inspiration of the Scripture, but he is also one of the world's foremost historians as well. And he started the infancy record of Jesus, not only with doctrinal detail, but historical and cultural details that will highlight peace. And there's that word. But not man's peace. Peace between God and you. Peace between God and me. Peace between us and God. Because let's make something very clear here. Man will never know peace if it does not know peace with God. Amen, church? We will never know peace. Maybe some quasi-temporary definition of it, but not the peace of God. It says here that a decree from Caesar Augustus went out. So we're going to be looking at this historically. In order to fully appreciate Luke's historical and theological narrative, we must understand who the actors are on the stage of the world at this time. Caesar Augustus. His real name was Gaius Octavius, and he was born in September 23 of 63 BC. And by the way, he was adopted by the world-famous Julius Caesar in 44 BC. After the death of his adopted father, Julius Caesar, Octavius quickly adopted his adopted father's name and became known for this, known for this name. And get ready, how would you like to write this every time you have to sign a document? Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius. He used this power-filled name to consolidate power during this time. He attacked all of Rome's enemies so aggressively that enemies, gen- the enemies of Rome, their generals, often committed suicide before the, the forces of Rome got to them. He defeated the forces of the world-famous Antony and Cleopatra so decisively that they too took their lives before he got to them. He was known at this time because of this power that was consolidated as the sole ruler of the Roman world, which was very close to all of the known world at this time. He was known as being pretty shrewd, very smart, having an ironclad administration committed, by the way, to public infrastructure. In fact, it was Octavius who was responsible for all the work that led to the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. He was intelligent, decisive, bold. He was not afraid of taking risks. He was a patron of the arts. He began to create a legacy of peace and prosperity. The peace and prosperity that he brought during this time because of his power and his wisdom and his skill and his shrewdness became so well known that they gave it a name in Latin, which means Pax Romana. And it is here that we see for the very first time a man-made peace a Pax Romana, but it was a man-made peace, and it's the same peace that that we know today when when it is between man and man, woman to man, human to human. 
It was a dark peace. Let me put it in a more contemporary way that might ring in our ears a little bit clearer. It was likened to the Hitler peace that was in Germany during the rule of Hitler. He too brought some peace to Germany for a while. It was a peace, but it was his peace. It was the way he wanted it. It was a dark peace. Octavius' peace meant you were not to step out of line with what he demanded. If you stepped out, here's a, here's a question, I want you to answer it. During this time of peace, if you did not do what Octavius said that you should do, you would simply what? Anyone? You would die. You would go to jail. It was his peace. So forced was his peace that for, now grab this, 40 straight years, there was no war in Rome. In fact, the temple of war, which was the military storehouses of Octavius, were not opened. Where all of the, the, the armor and the, and the spears and the, and the, and the weapons and the, and the knives and the, and the swords, all of that stuff and the chariots were unopened for 40 straight years. So, so powerful was his peace. So amazing was this time of forced peace that Rome erected a famous monument called Era Passis Auguste, which in Latin literally means the altar of Augustian peace. Now, now he is so powerful that they, and this is an actual picture. By the way, you can go visit this today if you want. This is an altar of peace that was dedicated to Caesar Augustus. So feared and admired that in 27 BC, the Roman Senate decided to give Octavius a title that no one had ever had before him. No man, no woman, no child, no emperor ever were given this name. But because he was so powerful and so dark, peaceful, they gave him the name Augustus, which is, by the way, a title that was, was set aside for only that of deities, of small g gods. Because the term Augustus means holy. He was holy. Then they gave him the word Caesar, which means emperor. With these two titles added together, his name became Holy Emperor. With these divine titles coupled with the power, a cult came out of Rome called Imperial Worship. How many here, when you hear the word Imperial Worship, immediately think of Star Wars? Anyone at all? The Imperial Guard, the Empire, the Strikes Back. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big into Battlestar Galactica and all that stuff, all right? I know you're never allowed to mix those two. I understand. He became the Holy Emperor. The cult of Imperial worship was born. They worshipped him as a Holy Emperor. They worshipped him as a God. For his birthday, the Greek, one of the Greek cities in Asia Minor gave him the name. Now get ready for this. They gave him the name Savior. Hmm. You starting to see all these titles come up? Jesus was not born in a cultural or, or historical vacuum. They gave him the name Savior. In fact, the inscription that can still be found in a British museum today gives him the title. Now get ready for this. Savior of the world. In fact, did you know, because of these political implications, that Savior, the word Savior, is very rarely ever used in the New Testament. 
is very rarely ever used in the New Testament so as to avoid the cultural association with imperial worship of Caesar Augustus during this time in culture. Savior does not occur any times in the book of Matthew, zero times in the book of Mark, one time here in Luke and one time in John because it cannot be avoided. Culture can corrupt and impact a completely and completely change the association and the meaning of words. We all know this. We all know that words that we grew up with when we were little children do not mean what they mean today. Can I get a witness on that? Are you tracking with me? How many here have ever sang the song, deck the halls with boughs of holly? What's the next words? Very good. All right. I can't believe you did that. Don we now our gay apparel. That's changed meaning, has it not? If I were your, your shepherd here today and I said, everyone is to come to church wearing gay apparel. I would be in meetings for the rest of the week. Now some of you go, I'm offended at that. You're helping my point here. Some of us are offended at this from different angles, which proves the point. Culture can, can, can corrupt and hijack the meaning of words. Here's another one. Jihad. Jihad literally means striving towards a praiseworthy aim. A secondary meaning of jihad means to fight a war with evil in your own heart. Well, we would all agree by nature this is a good definition. Because of the current association with extremists and terrorism, none of us would ever get up in church and say, let us jihad the good jihad. (laughs) Especially with gay apparel, all right? We would never do that. In fact, if we could strike that from the simulcast, that would be appreciated. You see the word Savior here. The word Savior here in and of itself is a good word. But in these Roman days, in this culture, in this context, it was so closely associated with the cult of imperial worship of Caesar Augustus that oftentimes Christians avoid using it because the culture had polluted and corrupted it and drew away from the cause of Christ rather than added to it. In fact, did you know that the greatest man, the greatest disciple ever to live, if you will, the Apostle Paul, who wrote all of the Pauline epistles and and roughly 13 books of the Bible, depending on where you come down on one or two of them, when he wrote the pastoral epistles, he only used the word Savior twice. He does it once in Ephesians, once in Philippians, and that in and of itself was two generations removed from Caesar Augustus. But even then, he's like, mmm, this word. So highly worshipped as the Savior and bestower of peace, Caesar Augustus, that a declaration was given. You're going to love this declaration. By the way, how many here are loving history right now? Are you enjoying history? Because we're about to press it into the flesh of God incarnate. All right? They, 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 they made a declaration, a declaration that can be found in the, in the British Museum today. And it reads, it reads this. Augustus is the father of Rome, the son of God. The savior of all man, whose goodwill... Does it sound like a verse? 
I almost feel like Linus just said something like this. Whose goodwill will fill all men so that they ought to bring, look at that, sacrifices of peace to him. How many are thankful that God brings a sacrifice to peace for us? Amen? What a contrast in peace. So with all this being said, this is the fun part. Let's add up all this historical background and titles. Here's a summary. Octavius Caesar Augustus ruled in unrivaled supremacy. He was the holy, that's Augustus, savior, city of Asia Minor gave him that, of the world, sent from God the Father, Zeus, mythological God, to deliver his people and bring, our subject today, peace, on which his good will rests on all men whom he is pleased to give it, and sacrifices ought to be brought to him. Now I want you to hold on to all those titles that are given to Caesar Augustus in the context and background, and I want you to look at the titles that are given to Jesus when the angels announce them to the shepherds. They say this, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you the gospel, the good news, which is a familiar term to these ears, of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and peace among men with whom he is pleased. I want you to notice that every title that is up there, in this verse, is a title that has been given to Caesar Augustus. This is no accident and it is no coincidence. For with God there is neither. When the angels attribute the title of Savior to Jesus, let that not be missed. It was a direct challenge to the current political and cultural theology of imperial worship. The Savior of the world who brings peace is, and I love this, the Savior of the world, if you look up there and both those, those, those statements there, the Savior of the world who brings peace is not the holy mighty Augustus in Rome, but rather an infant lying in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. Could there be a greater contrast in the peace of man versus the peace of God? What I want you to see here at this point is that the angels' announcements are not some off-the-cuff, you know, announcement that they, like, like they got up in the heavens and they're like, what do we say? And they're like, I don't know, just say something. No, it was very purposeful. It was meaningful. It did not come in a vacuum. Now hold on to that. Hold on to that, and we will make it even, even more mon- historical and monumental in a moment here. But is not God's word and the history and the fabric that is behind it rich beyond measure? We ought to study that so that we might, might make God larger in our lives and exalt him in our understanding of him. Verse 6 and 7 say this. And while they were there, Mary and Joseph, the days were accomplished for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him. And I got to say it because I'm old school, swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the house, in the inn. I want you to grab this contrast between the Savior of the world that brings peace, Caesar Augustus, and the Savior of the world who brings peace, Son of God. The contrast. No angels singing. 
No heaven's trumpet, no Holy Spirit descending like a dove, just the cold, hard earth with the smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure. The Son of God was born into the trembling hands of a peasant carpenter, slippery with blood, met by the cold air of the autumn night. And in that eternal moment, another Savior was born. And and the world now has two Saviors in it, but they could not be more different from one another. Joseph and Mary clean Jesus the best they can in the light of the fire and the lamp, and they wrap him like a mummy in swaddling clothes and lay the Savior of the world in the feeding trough. He who is unspeakably wise lays there speechless. He who is the living Word of God cannot speak a word. And all of the imagery of the oldest book of the Bible now explodes in meaning when God said, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who made the clouds, the swaddling clothes of the earth? Is now himself wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. Oh, the wonder of it all. Man's peace and God's peace. And just when you think things can't get more humble. How many here have ever said, things can't get worse than this. Anyone at all? And you realize you are not on the bottom floor yet. Dump it into verse 8. And at the same time, in the same region, same region as what? Bethlehem, Jerusalem. There were some pneumatic, nomadic. How do you say it? New or no? I'll say it the way I want. Out in the fields. And Scott, no, I did get your email. I just didn't have time to get back to you about shepherds. So maybe this will answer your question. No, actually it won't. I don't have time. I'll talk to you later. That was probably mildly distracting. Let's move forward, all right? Keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before him and goes, I have no idea what to say. No, he knew exactly what he was going to say. He knew exactly the titles he was going to strip out of the white clenched hand of a man who demanded to be God. There's too much here to even touch on this morning, so allow me just to slide our thoughts over them. In the same region, keeping watch over their flocks by night, the NIV, if you have the NIV, the lesser form of the NASB, I'm joking. <laughs> Literally writes, the field's nearby. The fields nearby. The location of the shepherds were near Bethlehem, which, by the way, is right by Jerusalem, the temple of God. According to the Mishnah, which is the written record of oral traditions, livestock within this region of Jerusalem were reserved for blood sacrifices in temple. These sheep, Bethlehem lay within the Mishnah's described circumference. And the sheep these shepherds are watching at night would almost certainly, but we'll go with highly likely because it's been a little while since the birth of Christ, were highly likely to be used for the purpose of blood sacrifice in the temple. We find that in the Mishnah, in the MCL 7.4. Now grab this. These shepherds are watching sacrificial lambs while the Lamb of God is born in a stable. In a manger. 
And some of those shepherds are staying out in the fields. Now, grab this, can't get any lower. And we're almost done. Time is it? I'll take my time. We're good. Pneumatic shepherds, nomadic, sorry, nomadic shepherds, who spent their lives separated from human communities and culture were known for being thieves and robbers. They were unethical and immoral. They were often lonely travelers, absent of family. They were considered immoral and unethical. Shepherds were considered the second lowest position in Jewish culture, second to that of only lepers. That's pretty low. Only lepers had a worse status than that of a nomadic shepherd. We find that in the Talmud. And so lowly shepherds, so lowly were shepherds. Now grab this, that they are legally disqualified. Legally disqualified to be a witness in the court of law. So here's a quick question, and I want you to answer this. Who were the first witnesses of the birth of Jesus Christ? Who were they? The answer's right there. Talk to me. Shepherds. These angels brought the news of the... Now grab these, these things here. He brought the news of the real Savior to those who are watching sacrificial lambs who are the least among men. Not many of you are wise. Not many of you are noble. To be witnesses in a, witnesses in a world that will never believe them. How marvelous is the foreshadow of, of the gospel of the feet who bring good news. And now that we know all of this historical background, and we lick our teeth with that, we can now only begin to truly understand the angel's announcements. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you the gospel of great joy, which will be for all people, not just Romans. For today, in the city of David, there is born to you. Notice, today, not in B.C., in the city of David, not in Rome, there has been born to you a a Savior, not just a generic Savior, who is Christ the Lord, glory to God in the highest, and on earth there's the word peace, real peace, towards men whom He is pleased. Let's wrap this up. Church, let us not miss the message here. For only in understanding these words through the ears of the original recipients can we correctly apply it in our lives today. And here is what just falls off the page now that we know more details around it. The good news, the gospel, is not when man abuses power, but rather it is the sacrificial love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's one, and if you will agree with this one, please affirm it with an amen. Salvation is not found in human government, but rather in Christ's atonement. Amen? Our salvation is not in Washington. Praise Jesus. Neither was it in Rome. 
Salvation is not found in human government, but in Christ's atonement. Here's one. Peace is not a temporary demand from the powerful, but rather it is an eternal gift from God to those who believe. Oh, church, do you see what Luke, the historian, has dropped on our laps with these words? Peace on earth is never accomplished when man tries to become God, but rather when God chooses to become man. Amen? What a difference. So with all this being said, let's close with the verse that we began with. And the shepherds made known the statement which was given to them by the angels. And all who heard all of these titles, all who heard all of this historical background, were absolutely amazed, stunned, perplexed at the things that were told them by those who could not even be witnesses. I want you to remember all the titles of Augustus that have been attributed now to Jesus. I bet they were amazed. I bet they did wonder at these things that were told them and by who. Because not only did it fulfill Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah and other passages, not only did it fulfill Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, but it undermined and outright defied the current Savior of the world, Caesar Augustus. I bet they did wonder at these things. And with that, Joseph wipes his wet, bloody hands looking at the living word who cannot say a word. Not knowing that as he does, shepherds who cannot legally witness anything leave their sacrificial lambs behind, which if you think about it, church, is okay now that we know the big picture. Because those sheep in the field at night have just been replaced once and for all by the Lamb of God. And rather than bringing sacrifices of peace to Caesar Augustus, the true Savior of the world will offer himself as a sacrifice of peace. What a difference between you and God. Well, church, is not our Lord too wonderful for words? You know, the Charlie Brown Christmas special said it well when he said this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men whom he is pleased. Ah, Merry Christmas, church. How many here are thankful for the peace that Christ brought by becoming man rather than the dark peace man brings by trying to become God? It's more than a cartoon special. Oh, truly, He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of true peace. Gracious Heavenly Father, dismiss us with your blessing. Thank you for peace that is everlasting rather than demanded and temporary. Thank you for your son. Father, we pray these things. We ask them 
we ask that not only would we know the gospel so that we might be saved, but we would know the gospel and be sanctified to live it out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you, church. You are dismissed.